Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. When I finish, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond with, thanks be to God. It says, for the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, good morning again. Um, We are making our way through the book of Matthew. We have been now for quite some time. And we we find ourselves here in Matthew chapter 25. And I'm excited to uh, dig into this passage together. Um, But before we do, if you... um, I want to go ahead and open up to that passage in your Bibles, Matthew 25, and I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Lord, would you be with my mouth um, and my mind and help me to faithfully teach, uh, rightly divide your word, and I pray, God, for every person here that you would give to us ears to hear what you have to say to us today. Uh, may we be teachable and humble, and ready and eager to learn from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Um, so today we're talking about we're talking about work, essentially work that's done for the Lord. We're talking about uh, serving the Lord with what He's given to us. In America, we don't always have the best perspective on work. Um, for many of us, we've our entire lives we've basically been trained to think that the goal of work, of all work, is to get to the place where you don't have to work anymore, which is problematic um, because what that ultimately tells us is that um, work doesn't really matter. It's just a necessary evil to get us to the real goal of life. And um, and so you can see how having that kind of a perspective on work is, would, would, well, it, at the very least, it would leave us very unfulfilled in our day-to-day lives, but, but also it would give us a wrong approach to many of the, many of the things that God has called us to. Um, and so we want to know what God says about work, and, and particularly how He thinks about our work for Christ and for His kingdom and for His glory and where our perspective is off and not aligned with the Scripture, we want to bring our perspective into uh, alignment with His Word. And so that's where we want to start today. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14, and we'll just start with these first few words. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. And we'll stop there called his servants. Um, If you're a note taker, um, our first point this morning is that work is part of God's good design. Work is part of God's good design. We need to start with this foundation before we can go any further, because the passage is talking about, um, it's a parable that's that's calling Christians uh, workers or servants. The word here in the Greek is doulos, and it means a bondservant. And a bondservant is a willing servant who gives their lives and their work to another. They give their lives and their work to another. And so you can see that if that's the way that the Bible is going to describe a Christian, and many times it does, then we should understand the Bible's perspective on work. So we're just going to start there. And what we find when we look to the Bible to get God's perspective on work is that this story opens up with a scene of a very good and perfect God working. It starts out with God at work. He's creating everything out of nothing. So Genesis 1.31 tells us this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So he makes everything. He's working, and it's very good that he's working. And then Genesis 2, 2 says this. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. So not only is he working, but he's completing his work, right? So he finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. That's the first thing that we see about work when we open up the Bible is that a perfect God works and completes his work. 
The next thing we might see is that human beings were made for work. They're made for work. This was the intention of creation before sin came into the world. Don't let anybody tell you that work is the result of sin. It's not. This is what we find before sin enters into the picture. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the the mandate that they're given. You've got to fill the earth. You've got to take dominion over all of it. You're going to rule over all of it. This is work. And furthermore, it goes on. Genesis 2.15. Again, this is before uh, human beings sinned. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Work it. To work it and keep it. So God created human beings for work. This was not a result of the fall. Amen. The New Testament carries on this uh, way of thinking. It says to us in Colossians 3.23 that whatever you do, work heartily. That word heartily, it just means from your heart or with all your soul is another way of translating that. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So we see that human beings are created for work, right? Not only that, but we see Jesus, the perfect man, came to accomplish work that was given to him. The works that were given to him by his Father. Look at John 17, 4. He says, praying to his Father, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the what work Work. the work that you gave me to do is work bad no work is not bad work is not a result of the fall work is good it is god's good design for human beings but then here's what we find is that In the New Testament, we learn that God has this work that he's doing, this redemptive work to bring people, to reconcile people who are far away from him back to himself. It's this huge, overarching work that he's been doing from the very beginning, this this redemptive work to bring people to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And guess what? He invites us into that work. Isn't that amazing? He invites us into that work. Paul frequently talks about this idea, referring to us as co-laborers or fellow workers. Okay, He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, he he talks about uh, evangelism as planting seeds, teaching the Bible as watering those seeds. And, And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 9. He who plants... And he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He saw people as a field that he was cultivating or a building that he was building together. And he was a fellow worker with God. Now, if that's true... It's pretty important 
that we have a right perspective on work, isn't it? Because if we come into the Christian life with a pretty sour perspective on work, and then we learn that God wants us to work, and that's a big, that's what he, he called us into this thing, to be a fellow worker with him, it's going to mess us up a little bit. So we need to wrap our minds around the Bible's understanding, God's perspective on work. 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're called ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So Paul sees himself in partnership with God. And, and God's using him. Paul's laboring in order that, that God's work can be carried out in the world. And guess what? That's going to take hard work. And that's good. That's good. It's going to take sleepless nights. In, in places, he talks about being poured out as a drink offering. In other places, he says, he says that he worked harder than any of them. In, in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul says, we toil and strive in this work. Being in partnership with God, according to Paul who was inspired by the Holy Spirit as he's writing these things, meant hard labor. Meant hard labor. And that takes energy, and our energy is limited. And and so I just want us to come into the rest of this passage having the Bible's perspective on work. And so so to recap, God, who's perfect, works. And he he finishes his work. Um, The Son... God's Son, who is perfect, works, and He finishes His work. And and then He creates human beings before sin enters into the picture for work. He puts us us to work, and it's good. And then, in the overarching work of God, the theme of the Bible, this, this reconciling the world to God, He invites us to join Him in that work. Man. So here's the first question for us. I have four questions, a question for each point for us to take home. Do I see it as an honor to work for the Lord? That's the first question for us to start mulling over today and this week. Do I see it as an honor? I know many of you do. And maybe we go through seasons. But today... Today, right now, do I see it as an honor to work for the Lord? And if not, then I need to examine what I've believed about work. I need to bring my thinking into alignment with God's. Um, all right. Now, having that foundation, let's, let's dive into the rest of this parable. So, back to verse 14. So it, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. That brings us to the second point. And that is that your life is a stewardship. So work is part of God's good design, and your life is a stewardship. Um, Here we see this principle that God... God has given you what you have, 
It's actually his. You are in possession of it. And he expects you to do something with it. That's stewardship. A steward is someone who manages another person's property. So, according to the Bible, even our very lives are not ours. <laughs> They're actually God's. Here's what we see in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You are not your own. You don't belong to you. You belong to God. So even your life, your very life, is a stewardship. That means that every day that you're alive is a gift from Him. Every breath you take, every heartbeat is a gift. And He's called you to steward your life, your body, to glorify Him. Yeah, praise God. It gives us such purpose. So, we are meant to glorify Him whenever possible and to advance His kingdom whenever possible. This life on earth has been entrusted to us. So, let's get really practical about this. If you have a job, that job belongs to God. You're a steward. You're a steward of that job to use it for His glory and His kingdom. If you have the ability to teach or sing or make things or fix things or have vision for things, that's not yours. That ability belongs to God, and He's given it to you to steward. If you are in medicine or in a trade, or you're a parent, or you work in government, or you're a student, or you are a business owner, or you're an employee, or you're an engineer, your job belongs to God, and He wants you to use it to glorify Him and advance His kingdom. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 puts it very bluntly. What do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. Nothing. Your abilities, um, however much you have worked to develop those, were given to you. So here's the second question that we need to ask ourselves today. What has God given to me? What's he given to me? What's in front of me? What influence do I have? What skills do I have? What resources do I have? What do I have? What's he given to me? Has he given me resources for his kingdom? Has he given me talents I've not used for his kingdom? A career that I mistakenly thought was mine? Has he given me children to raise up for his glory and his kingdom? Has he given me speaking abilities or musical abilities or a heart for the poor? Has He given me a home to invite others into? And I, and, and I recognize that for many people, 
we are limited, very limited by, by things in our lives, whether it be our health or our circumstances. But let me ask you this. Has he given you the ability and time to pray? This is perhaps the greatest ministry. This is the, the greatest ministry. The apostles, the very ones trained by Jesus himself. It says that they devoted their time to two things. You know what the first one was? Prayer. Prayer. So if you have time, then you can do the greatest ministry on earth. Our lives are stewardship, so what has God given to you? Let's look at the passage again. Verse 19 says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Settled accounts with them. This brings us to our third point, and that is your work will be examined. Your work will be examined. In this section here, you've got a guy who's given five talents, he earns five talents more. Another guy who's given two talents, he earns two more. One guy who's given one talent, he hides it. Doesn't do anything with it. Gives it back. And he is cast into outer darkness. So what we learn from this section is that there will be rewards for those who have labored for the sake of the kingdom. Those that worked for the sake of the kingdom, to earn a a return for their master. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But the other thing that we learn here is that it it is not going to go well for those who have not labored to make a return. Here's the way that D.A. Carson summarizes this point. It is not enough for Jesus' followers to hang in there and wait for the end. They must see themselves as servants who improve what their master entrusts to them. Failure to do so proves that they cannot really be valued as disciples at all. Those are hard words. But that is what Jesus is saying in this parable. Um, the book of 1 Corinthians talks about this day when our work will be examined. And here's, here's the way that 1 Corinthians 3, 9-15 through 15 puts it. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If 
the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here, describing the day that Jesus is referencing in this parable, Paul says that each person, each one, each one's work will become manifest. The day will disclose it. So on that day, your work is going to be laid out on on the table as evidence. Let's see it. Everything you did. And on that day, your work is either going to be precious metals that can survive a fire or wood, hay, and straw that'll be consumed. And that, and, and, and that doesn't, that's not to say that, you know, if you preach and teach, that's, that's the precious metals. No. There's going to be a lot of preachers who put their whole life's work out on the table and it's going to go, Whoosh. And then there's going to be people who worked hard at a job, day in and day out, to provide it for their family. And their work's going to be put out on the table. And it's going to shine. And they're going to receive a reward. Our motives will be examined. Our hearts will be examined. Were we building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ? Were we laboring for His glory and His kingdom to advance? Or were we laboring for our own good and comfort and advancement? Notice also in this um, passage that we just read that Paul refers to it as the grace of God given to him. Did you, did you catch that? according to the grace of God given to me? And, and doesn't that align with what Jesus is saying here when he says in verse 15, to each according to his ability? that the, the way that you are going to be rewarded, the way that your works will be examined, will be in accordance with what was given to you. So, in other words, the question is, What is the grace of God that's been given to you? What's the grace of God in your life for you to use? Does God want you to be a Paul traveling around, planting churches in unreached places? But you know, that's not the only example of people using their lives for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the glory of God. Does God want you to be a Mary pouring out her most valuable possession on the feet of Jesus as an act of love and worship. Or an evangelist like Philip being led by the Spirit to talk to people who don't know Jesus. Or to give away your, your retirement, essentially, your burial place, like Joseph of Arimathea. Or to worship with fasting and prayer night and day like the prophetess Anna in Luke 2. The point is that when you read the Bible, it doesn't look the same for every person. What it does look like is effort, striving, toiling, 
It's hard work, and it's good. It's good. And it's according to your ability. It's according to the grace of God given to you and to the opportunities given to you and to the time given to you. Ephesians 4, 7 says, um, by gr- but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Let us use them. Let us use them. Our works are going to be examined. Jesus is coming back to settle accounts, to give out rewards. But he will expect a return on whatever was given to each one of us. You might say, well, if he would give me more opportunities, if he'd give me more giftings, if I had more time, then I might be able to do some good work for his kingdom. But Jesus would say to you, have you been faithful over the little that I've given you? Until you're faithful with the little in your hand, I will not put more under your care. Remember what he said to his good and faithful servant in verses 21 and in 23. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so we will be accountable for what we've done to advance his kingdom and to glorify the son. But it will only be an accountability for the, the talents the things that have been given to you, the grace of God, the measure of his grace given to you. But let us use it. Let us use it. So question number three is this. How can I serve Christ with what I've been given? That's the question. How can I serve Christ with what I've been given? Let's look back at our passage. Matthew 25 Verses 24 through 26. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. So that brings us to our fourth point, and that is take risks for his kingdom. Take risks for his kingdom. Now, what we see with this, um, this last servant is really instructive for us. And we see that there were several things that kept this wicked servant from investing for his master's return and improving upon what his master had entrusted to him. And, and I see three things that we'll look at. One, he knew his master from afar. Two, he feared failure. And three, he was lazy. He knew his master from afar. Um, 
Did you notice that he said, I knew you to be a hard man? Did you catch that? It's like he, what he's saying is, I've heard this about you. Not, you can tell that there's not a close relationship there, can't you, in the way that he talks to him. I knew you to be. This is how I've, this is how I've thought of you. I knew you to be a hard man. He knows this master from afar, not intimately. It's very possible to know of Jesus, but not know him. At the end of the day, it's only those who truly know Jesus intimately who will gladly spend their lives for the good of his kingdom and the glory of his name. Those who only know of Jesus will never have the motivation to sacrifice for his sake. Number two, he feared failure. Notice what he said. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. It appears I was afraid is not an acceptable excuse to Jesus. Right? Bummer. So, Jesus, we know that apart from faith, it's impossible to please him. The Bible says that anything done apart from faith is sin. We, we need faith working with our labors in order for it to be pleasing to him. Did you know that faith is spelled R-I-S-K? <laughs> the, 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 you read the stories of the Bible. Maybe start with, Hebrews chapter 11, there's quite a few there. Stories of the Bible summarized for you of of people who acted in faith. And you ask yourself with each one of those stories, um, and, and the vast majority of those stories, it is so easy to see, so clear to see, that there was a massive risk involved in what they did. What what I mean by risk is you're going out on a limb and trusting that God's gonna meet you. I mean, just think of Moses walking into Pharaoh's court. Just think of Esther walking in to the king. Just imagine Peter grabbing a man who's never walked by the hand and pulling him up and saying, in Jesus' name, stand up. Ask yourself, where can I find in the Bible stories where there's not risk involved? And it is very few, far between. This man was unwilling to risk. And I find that men are the worst about this. Um, We men hate losing. And and therefore, we hate failing. Yeah. And so sometimes it's just easier not to try than to risk failure. And so guess who is usually the first ones to raise their hands in this church when there's something that needs to be done? The ladies. Thank you, ladies, by the way. Very much. But men, let's be willing, let's be willing to, to risk, to put ourselves on the line and take a chance and maybe we fail. That's what faith looks like. Trusting the Lord to come through. So don't be 
afraid to take risks to serve Jesus. Don't be afraid to step up and lead your family spiritually. Don't don't be afraid to step out in faith and, and pray with your wife or your kids. Don't be afraid of how it looks or how you might fumble with your words. Don't be afraid to to serve in kids and and teach the next generation to find and follow Jesus. Don't be afraid of failure, but trust God. Don't be afraid to speak to your coworker about your faith and risk being rejected. Don't be afraid to say something to your family member who's walking away. we will be used by God in service to Christ and His kingdom, we must be willing to step out in faith and take risks. Men and women, both. The third that we see here, the third reason that he hides his master's talent is that he was lazy. His master calls him a wicked and slothful servant. And you know, the Bible teaches that fear and laziness are connected. Um, They feed each other right? When we're afraid to act because we don't want to fail, we give way for laziness to creep into our lives. And as spiritual laziness takes hold of our lives, we find more and more things to fear if ever we get out there and attempt hard things for the Lord. Look at what Proverbs twenty-two thirteen says. The sluggard, the lazy person says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Now, I don't think that the lazy person is making that up. They don't, I don't think that they don't believe it. I think they do believe it. You see, they, these two things, laziness and fear, they feed each other. We find as we crush our fears under our feet by stepping forward that the laziness falls away as well. So here's the question for us. Have you let spiritual laziness keep you from attempting hard things for the Lord? Or have you let fear of failure keep you from attempting hard things for the Lord? Or have you not simply known Jesus up close enough to be motivated to to attempt hard things for him? Because if the answer to any of those three is yes, then this last servant is a warning for you. So here's question number four for all of us to take home. What is stopping me from serving Christ with what's been given to me? Here is one thing we know for sure. Let me read this parable. Jesus craves fruit. For his kingdom. He craves it. He wants it. He earnestly desires it. He has deposited a certain amount of grace and giftings inside each and every one of us because he wants a return on it. He's coming back to settle accounts, he's gonna examine your work. He craves fruit. He craves growth, advancement of his kingdom, the glory of his name. 
godliness in his people, righteousness in your life. He craves it. Here's what he says in John 15. He says that he wants all of his disciples to bear much fruit and so prove to be true disciples. Do you want that? That's the question. If you don't, if you don't want that, if you don't want fruit, more fruit, much fruit in your life, then here is what that means. You're not close to him. Just very, very bluntly. If you don't crave fruit, that you don't want your life to glorify him or advance his kingdom, then just very, very bluntly, you're not close to him. You don't know him intimately. That's it. Like the Bible's super clear on that. That the heart of Jesus is that he desperately craves his kingdom to advance and his name to be glorified. And you read his prayer to his father in John 17. It's all about, I glorified you. I came, I accomplished all the work you gave me to do. I glorified you with my whole life, all the way up to death. That's his heart. And if you don't want that, you don't know him. Or you've drifted so far, you need to return. You need to run back to him. You need to fall on your knees and cry out to him for mercy. And beg him to soften your heart again. Because if we know him, we know him i'm talking about if we if we're close to him we want the things he wants if you don't know him and and you want to oh there's such good news for you because because here's what the bible says the bible would say that regardless of whether or not you've prayed a prayer at some point or committed your life to Jesus at some point, or you'd never heard of Jesus until today, but you find yourself not caring about what is on his heart, the Bible would say, you know what? The response for you is the same, regardless of what your past is. And the response is to repent. That means to turn to him, it's an about face with the entirety of your life. Repentance is never about just one action, one thing. It's, it's about a turning of the whole self to God. And so, whether you find yourself here today and you would say, I've drifted so far, I just, my relationship with him is so so distant, or you would say, I've never known him before, the response is the same. You need to believe the gospel, and I'm going to explain that to you, and you need to turn, repent, do an about face, turn your whole life away from doing it your way and your sin to him. Martin Luther said, the entirety of the Christian life is one of repentance. We don't ever stop. We don't ever outgrow repentance. It's like a daily thing. This morning, I'm confessing sins from this week to the Lord, saying, please, Lord, forgive me. Have mercy upon me. 
Repentance is continual. So here's the gospel if you've never heard it. God is holy. He's perfect. He is, he is perfect in his moral character, in his purity. There's no darkness in him, no sin in him. He's holy. And because he's holy, sinful human beings in sin cannot be in relationship to him. It separates us. Our rebellion, all of our law-breaking, all of our lust and lies and pride and selfishness and anger and all of our sin, all of it that offends God, it separates us and there's a, a gulf between us and God because of our sin. And because of that gulf, we will be eternally separated from Him if we are not reconciled. And so, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live a perfect life. The life that we should have lived and couldn't. He lived. He fulfilled the whole law. He pleased the Father in everything He did. He glorified the Father in everything He did. He accomplished the work that the Father gave Him to do. All that we couldn't do. Then Jesus went to the cross. And on the cross, He paid the penalty for all of our rebellion, all of our sin, all of our law-breaking, all of our iniquity. He absorbed the wrath of God on the cross, paying the penalty in full. He was buried. And then on the third day, He rose from the grave. He walked out of the grave bodily. Amen. And He declared that all who would turn from doing life their way and turn from their sin and their sinning and their iniquity and turn to Him and put their trust in Him that He did die for them, that He did pay the penalty in full on the cross, that He did rise from the grave, that everyone who would do that, turn to Him in faith, would be forgiven of their sins and be saved and have a fresh start, a brand new start in order that we might be a fellow worker with God, an ambassador for Christ, calling others to be reconciled to God as well. So that invitation is for every single one of us. If you have never turned to Jesus in faith and believe this gospel, I want to invite you to do it today. And if you, if you do that today, um, we would love to walk alongside you and disciple you, um, train you up for godliness, teach you the Bible, show you what it means to be a Christian, to be a part of a church. And so if that's you, we want you to let us know. You can fill out the Connect card that's on your seat in front of you and let us know that today you did that so that we can follow up with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. I know you're speaking to people today. I know that in this room, many are pondering what they have been given and what's been stopping them from spending their lives to glorify you and advance your kingdom. And I beg you, God, that this message would bring transformation in our lives and that, oh God, that we would 
love to labor and toil for the sake of your kingdom. That we would be a church that delights to strive by the grace given to us and by the Holy Spirit deposited in us in order to see more people brought into your kingdom. Lord, use this message. Set fire to hearts this morning and draw those in this room that don't yet know you into a saving faith, into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray it in his name. Amen.